Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Murray Boise Barlin and we're here to have a chat because we care. Yeah, well, who cares about memories? I do. Yeah, I certainly do because that's who we are, right? <laughs> memories form not only who we are, but how we interact with the world and the environment and how we keep safe. And it sounds like it comes from way back in the days of the dinosaurs, some of these things that our um, a very learned friend uh, talked about, the amygdala, which well, I know a little bit about. Sounds like you've been listening to some kind of podcast with a guy oh. called Pankaj. Is that right? Ah, from the, the Queensland one. Brain Institute. That's the one. And I um, I was really interested in um, in, in this because, you know, yeah, I, I'm fascinated too. by the, how the brain works and especially as we do, you know, working in this environment, working with people with changing brains. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I've i always been fascinated by the term the amygdala hijack. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> I, I thought it was on one of those kind of territorial watch lists, but <laughs> I, 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 am I wrong? Well, the, well, no, the, the amygdala hijack was a term that was thrown at us when we were learning um, our elder engagement work when we were learning right. about dementia in the brain. And they talked about the amygdala is basically the fight or flight um, part of our brain, and it's a very old part of the brain. So basically, you know, when you, when you see the saber-toothed tiger in front of you, the blood rushes to your arms and your legs and you either stand and fight mm-hmm. or you take flight and you run. And so, yeah, no, I'd you know, run. I'd just run. Yeah, me too. Or I'd get um, some ancient weapon and try and defend my family. <laughs> I, I don't think I, I don't think I would. So it's an ancient part of the brain that still operates in a complex world. And, and I just sort of wonder after listening to this, how is the amygdala coping with a modern world? You know, there's so much input. So do you think that um, in terms of the people working with people, and I like you phrase that as changing, just changing cognition really, how does this all fit in? I can see um, I loved his humility in just saying, um, yeah, we actually don't know much about it. Yes. <laughs> I really appreciate, obviously, that's someone who's best placed to be researching, but just the, the mystery and the things that they have kind of, um, have been able to research and the things that are, are still a mystery. And I, I, it seems to me, and tell me if you got this too, the things that are still a mystery are very much the subjective things. So you can put things on people's brain and measure what happens when mm. they eat an apple, but you can never know how they're tasting it and how they're experiencing it. There's that's that subjectivity because that's the opposite of the scientific method isn't it yeah and 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 what we're dealing with is when we talk about people with changing uh cognition is we're talking about their subjective experience and us looking at it and trying to be objective about it which is what we do with all of our notes we all you know they did this and but um (laughs) we 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 don't know and and it's interesting because you know when someone like for you and i what's something that you hate like a fruit or something is there a fruit that you don't like um Oh, no. You keep talking because I can't think of Well, well I'm thinking that, like, so my daughter cannot stand bananas. She okay. doesn't like them, you know. Yeah. When I eat a banana, I cannot understand for the life of me why mm. she wouldn't like that taste, you know. And, and so it's a strange phenomenon that it is. Our, we, we interpret things in a manner that we do or don't like. And even and if we know she doesn't like it, we don't know how that is experienced and constructed. What What about it? You know, what is... What is it about it that she 
is never going to like. And I think I think that maybe we'll keep going round in circles with this because that's something we can never know. And and if anything, it really struck out to me. And was I thought too about all the countless notes and the poor staff I've actually um, sort of helped educate in things around those behaviour charts that say, what did you see? What was the trigger? Mm. Like, you're like, oh, I'm just going to be psychic. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, because it really sort of pretends to know the inner workings of the human brain, which we heard is totally impossible. And often people are living in a shifting reality. And so assigning some kind of logic, someone else's objective logic to what someone else does I think just, I think a breakthrough for the industry would be just to recognise that that that's very rarely possible. Once you've once yeah. you've got, you know you've really made sure someone's not in pain, and that there's nothing obvious, they're not cold, that distress when we're we're often not going to be able to get to the bottom of it. And so, as human beings, our focus is would then be, I think, just on being with someone in, in what they're experiencing, even if we can't fully understand it. It's, I do, yeah, I do agree with you. I, I, and, and I wanted to, to come back to your point about him saying that it's a mystery and saying that yeah. we know little about it. Because we know little about, like in, in your, what you've just said then about our, our, our teams, our frontline teams, we know little we know little about dementia, really. We we think we know, you know, what it does and how it works and how to how to care for it, but we don't really know, understand individually, you know, what yeah. that subjective experience is. What I what I loved is he said, and your memory makes you who you are. Memories are absolutely a critical part of us as a human being, and makes each of us the individuals that we are, and, and it is. It is so true, you know. It is so, so very true. Did you love um, Ash's question? Yeah, yes. this, this, we're going to talk about this really technical stuff and the amygdala and everything. And his question was, "Yeah, w- what's a memory?" <laughs> I thought that was a great question. I did write something down. Yeah, well done to Ash. Um, but, but really, what is it? And and that is it. It's not an uncontested zone. Let me say that Ooh. there are a lot of people who. Um, are studying memory from a lot of different uh, perspectives. And there's a lot of people that say that logical, you know, laying down a memory and being able to recall it isn't actually who we are, that there's a whole heap of ways that um, our emotions uh, are, are valid expressions of uh, what we want and don't want and who we are and, and most importantly in terms of linking memory with identity is um, what we value. I've worked with people who don't use words anymore, who don't remember their family, but when you bring in, um, you know, a baby or, a, you know, we have the animal farm visiting and it's a little goat, um, you should see the care and tenderness mm. with which they hold this and you can see the value they put on it and they make sure that, the, you know, that the children visiting don't hurt it. And, I mean, that's just a small example, but what makes that a less valid form of humanness than being able to have this logical array of recall and memory. And there's other people like Pia Contos mm. who argue very strongly that um, that our bodies are just as valid sources of memory. 
as our as our brains. Body. We're talking about body memory too, which is something that is, is very interesting. For for example, you know, we see often um, in the dining room when someone has uh, lost the the knowledge or the ability, the procedural memory to start using a knife and a fork, for example, where this care staff worker will grab the knife and fork and place them in your hand and do the motion, put the, the fork down into the stake and start moving the knife and off you go. You, they initiate the movement. Your body has a memory. We see this in dance and this is what dance and choreography does mm-hmm. and same with an instrument. Um, it's procedural part of your memory, which you, I love the whole idea of all these different components of memory. But if we think about about that, what you've just said, the body memory, if we... That's an emotional memory, though. Well, it, it? well, yes, because, and, and this is the thing, he, he did talk about the amygdala and then mm. he went to the hippocampus because we know the hippocampus is where the memories are laid down, right? But the amygdala has to do with emotion. So, you know, there's a lot of focus in the studies that I've looked at on the, on the hippocampus is where all the memories are laid down and that's where it ha- the action is. But, in fact, the amygdala is responsible for the emotional side of it. Where's the body memory? side in the body you know uh, yeah it's got to be right <laughs> yeah so and it's so, not just i think it's beyond procedural to to actually um and it's again it's just one focus area um of of where people are looking at this but um when you see the way that people engage with things that they care about it's not just like doing piano scales it's there's something more going on there's emotion and love and 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 genuine concern for um for this person this animal so th- th- there's a lot of mix in there but at the i i love the, the idea that you just can't unattach these memories from the emotions and yeah. and i love the you know the talk of the smell and um with your course when you walk along the street and smell a smell that a perfume mm. or an aftershave, you know, you really get the, just the bang, whether you want it or not, the full mm. impact of that from a song or a smell. And that's, of course, what, what he was saying where PTSD comes from. That's, that's that kind of emotion really gone wrong. But when we apply that to people, um, say, living with some kind of cognitive changes in, in an institutional setting, uh, really thinking about that emotion and how that might how they might be mixing and matching their um, emotional memories with with the logic of today. That's that's something that that stood out for me. Does that make sense? It and does I, because I was thinking about the duality of 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 the emotional content and memory and how it can be a really positive, beautiful experience, like you know, smelling the perfume of someone you once loved and were intimate with, and then smelling it again, and you go straight back to it. To that sound of the chopper, you know, for a veteran or an ambulance for someone that's been in an accident. And it's so strong. And there's the duality of the very positive and the very negative. And I find it incredible. And as much as, you know, and and I have to agree with you that there's so much more. And I think it's inherent in the body and the spirit. But, I mean, it's very hard to research the spirit. That's even more subjective. I mean, they can't even, you know, the brain is a thing. It's an organ. It's a, you know, it's a part, you know, it's a spare part. You know, I don't know yeah. if you can do it, but the spirit is not. You know, like it's yeah. it's even more untouchable. I, I I really liked though the way he talked about his work and the way he described the brain in very simple terms. And I really encourage everyone to listen to it because yep. you know it's very easy for us to think, oh, it's it's too complex about the brain and oh, it's boring. I, I thought it was very playful as well, and I thought it brought Ash brought out the best 
uh, in him in in that way. In, Absolutely, in, okay. but for me, the um, one of the takeaways was, and I think from an expert like you know the people he's working with and and his expertise, and for an expert at that level to um, to just talk about um, how how much of a mystery the brain is mm. and I was thinking about um, you know the 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 OECD in their in their sort of analysis of the last 20 years of dementia sort of saying look it largely still remains a mystery to us and I think those kind of sentiments if we could take that down to right down to the ground where people are actually interacting with people with cognitive changes, if we could grab that humility and bring it down there, I think that would turn around our thinking from, oh, we have to manage this behaviour and there's always going to be a cause that we'll be able to find in their life history. You know, it'll be able to link to the fact that he used to be a dairy farmer or, you know, whatever it is, if we could just take that humility and just look at the individual and say, here's a fellow human being who's distressed, we might not be able to ever get to the answer why, but I believe them and I really want to do something about it to support this person. That kind of humility I really believe um, would would do wonders at the actual point of working with someone who's experiencing some sort of distress, some sort of fear, some sort of anxiety. Um, or expressing some kind of desire that we don't know, we can't work out. I think the key is that humility, and that's that would be that would then put the onus back on us, rather than problematizing that individual. Once we've gotten pain out of the way, of course, and anything physical, mm. to be able then to say, right, I don't, you know, I don't want to fail in helping this person feel better, in helping alleviate some of that anxiety or to try and get to the bottom or to do things in a way where the person isn't distressed, just to put the onus back on the people rather than constantly trying to unpick um, the logic of this person's distress. So you think that if we were to talk more in the sector about the mystery... Yeah, I do. ...and try and... Try and you know unravel the mist or, or play within the mystery. You I play think. within the mystery, yeah. and that's what you do as an artist, Moz. That's why that works because you don't go in there thinking I've got all the answers. That's well, and it's it's very difficult for medicine to operate in an area where their authority is, um, uh, you know, where, where they can say we don't know. Yeah, I I, I love I genuinely love. Any expert, any politician, any leader that says, "I don't really have the all the answers," yeah. because it's that humility that really makes a difference. So you know, the work that Parkan is doing is is phenomenal. Like I really, and this is in no way a criticism of it, because I really believe. Yeah, me it. too. But, but but you know, like I'm thinking that when a person has lost these abilities, these capacities, um, well. I don't know. I think it's time to work in the now and and play within that mystery. Yeah. Um, and and so it's an interesting, interesting way. I mean, I don't know what the way forward really is. You know, we put a lot of emphasis on trying to unraveling a dementia, but but I think it's like you know, as you say, 
working, sitting, and and I, I mean, sorry, I'm waffling a little bit here because no, I, I'm not. trying it's... to, but I'm thinking about you know my own mother's experience, you know, when she was, yep. you know, she thought she was on a cruise when right. she was in the um, the aged care service. She there was mm-hmm. a point where she was bedridden, and she literally thought she was on a cruise. And you know her grandmother was over there, and Aunt Kathy was around the corner because she had red hair. And I was trying, I was so wow, having never been on a boat in a life. Oh <laughs> so, my god! So you know, and I wonder if if that's something that she always wanted to do, or maybe um, she had. <laughs> well, maybe she had, and now emotionally, I'm starting to get distressed. I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. But <laughs> there was one thing that Parkin said, and that was he talked about dementia. In terms of memory loss, and I just did want to remind us all that not all dementia is related to the loss of memory. Mm. Um, there are people that um, remember very well, but have personality changes or uh, lose certain abilities, like a face, like you just mentioned, uh, stroke. You know, so some people that have a vascular dementia may experience aphasia, where they lose the ability to understand language, whether it be written or spoken. You know, and so not all dementia is related to memory loss, mm. and that's important to remember. That is, and um, Dementia Alliance International are a fantastic source of information if you want to check out their resources online. Um, it's from people with dementia and their varied experiences of um, of dementia in their own lives and, and how they're experiencing it. So that's always a fantastic source. An organisation run by people with a lived experience, yeah? Yeah. Our dear friend Kate, Kate Swaffer. Yeah, Kate was one of the founding members. She's still there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moz, it's been fantastic talking to you again. It was a fantastic podcast and um, leaving us all with the memory of humility. We care about <laughs> humility. We do care about humility. And I'm going to wait and I'm going to remember with fond emotion this chat. Me too. If I don't remember the words, I'll remember the feeling. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, take care and see you uh, next week. Next week, Moz. Thanks. Hooroo.